In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I think it oddly humorous that the day that we have this story about the danger of serpents in the wilderness is the very weekend that is the rattlesnake roundup in Sweetwater, Texas. Yesterday, I think they had a grand, grand celebration. It's so far away, I wasn't able to attend. And I've never been, but uh, what a thing. Uh, The record in Sweetwater... They gather for a month, I think, and uh, it was in 1982 when they gathered nine tons of snake, 18,000 pounds. And uh, I think every year it's a favorite festivity, particularly for the little cottontail bunnies, the prairie dogs, and the field mice, because their populations grow after this weekend. It's also, and I hope that you pay attention to the uh, insert about St. Patrick, uh, that's a favorite uh, festival for people. Not quite as popular as St. Francis, right? But St. Patrick is very popular. And one of the interesting miracles attributed to him is the way that he solved a snake problem in Ireland. It's a very strange story. Um, So... um, We have a story about a snake problem in the wilderness when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt toward their land of promise. And they take up the course of human nature. I don't know if you have ever contended with human nature before, but... Instead of being grateful for all that God was doing for them, even though there was struggle, strain, hunger, fear, God was doing for them all that they needed to do. Instead of gratitude, they had a rather venomous disposition. The the poison of their thinking led them to complaint. We don't like the wilderness. We, we worry about food. We worry about water. And the food that we get, we detest. And for all their complaining, they suddenly find themselves with too many serpents around. And they need to go to Moses to ask for some kind of a solution because they're so filled with fear. Moses consulting God receives this solution, that a serpent image is to be fashioned out of bronze, put on a standard, and lifted up. When anyone is struck by the snake bite, they look upon this serpent, and they will not perish. Now, the the issue at hand here is that really they are looking beyond the serpent to God. The power is not in this bronze serpent. It's not an idol that they are to look toward. It is to understand that beyond the threat of any predicament, including snakes, is the sovereignty of God to care for them. And that is the power that saves them. The power of God. 
Jesus uses this imagery to foretell for one of the Pharisees that is talking to him the very power of God at work in what will happen to Jesus. He's speaking to a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has come to him, and he's really befuddled with many of the things that Jesus is telling him, as probably any of us would have been. Because Jesus is rerouting his thinking. He's turning everything in a new direction. Nicodemus is accustomed to knowing that what we're after is righteousness, because if God is righteous, only our own behavior of righteousness will be able to line us up with God. And he's become an expert, not just a Pharisee, but on the Sanhedrin. He is part of the whole temple aristocracy. I mean, these are experts in interpreting and enforcing the law of Moses. In the ways of righteousness, he would be one of the standard bearers. But now Jesus is telling him that rather than it being a system where God, who is righteous, is on the lookout for all infractions with a bag full of possible punishments to lay out upon those who are in error... It's an issue of God being from the whole context of love. Actually, the way Jesus puts it in many places in the New Testament is that God is a loving Father who wants the best for the people that keep having their own poisonous ideas and attitudes and behaviors. People who are destructive are nonetheless loved by God And God desires to deliver them and to bring them into a new way. He does so with love, with mercy and forgiveness. I imagine that Nicodemus was struck at this new idea. Jesus picks up the story in Numbers. And he says, just as the serpent was lifted... In the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted, so that all who look upon him and believe on him would be saved, would be spared, would be healed. The formula in the Gospel of John uh, leans heavily upon two words, belief, eternal life. He puts them together in sequence. All who believe receive eternal life. So in the case of Jesus using the imagery of the serpent, but signaling that the Son of Man must be lifted up, is setting up the reality that that it's, it's not looking past the bronze serpent this time. Is looking directly upon the Son of God. Looking upon the Son of God and believing in the Son of God. 
You see, our problem with behavior, our problem with not lining up in righteousness with God, is not a case of us trying to do our best and hoping we do it perfectly and then receiving a connection with God. It's like this. Knowing we are flawed, we look to the Son. We believe on the Son and are given eternal life. And then begins our capacity to be about the ways of God. Perfect behavior doesn't precede the gift of reward. It follows it. The gift is just that. It's a gift. The reward is to be connected to God, the Righteous One, and then to begin to mold our lives in a manner that fits that. When I read this passage from, from Ephesians, I almost see Paul put, laying out there for everyone to see uh, the, a short description of the problem that he had. The problem that he had was, you all better behave at least as good as I behave because only people like me are going to make it. Now Paul says it much differently. He says anything good that can come to us is given to us. And then it having been given to us, we have the possibility of doing good. This is how it is worded in a different translation. At the end of this passage, Paul is saying, it was God's gift of grace which saved you. No one can pride himself upon earning the love of God. The fact is that what we are, we owe to the hand of God upon us. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do those good deeds which God planned for us to do. Paul has a new order of things. God gives, and then we do. We're never finished with the struggle to do good, but with confidence in God's righteousness offered as a gift, there's a better way of moving in that direction. So Lent is like this. Holy Week is like this. We are... Noticing the lifting up of the Son of Man, we are looking upon Christ Jesus. And that prompts us to believe and to receive eternal life. I'll finish with this. Three things about believing. When we believe in Jesus, when we see him upon the cross, for that matter, when we're making Eucharist and we see the, the bread and the wine lifted up, we look upon the Lord Jesus, his body and his blood. And our belief in Jesus is this. First of all, we believe that God loved us, that, 
The framework, the context is from a loving father. The second is that we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. And by virtue of that fact, we listen to him. We can take confidence in what he says. He is the Son of God. And the third thing we believe is that since those things are true, what he says we must do. Obedient. So believe those things when you see the Christ. Believe that God loves you. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that what he says we must do. Just as he was lifted up, so will he lift you into heaven itself.